this morning. All creation waits. Would you uh, please open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. This morning, I would like for us to notice that uh, the question would be, well, what are we waiting for? That would be a good question. If all creation waits, what are they waiting for? What's it waiting for? What's the thing that is happening to it? Because we live in a world, like you see in this picture, we live in a world where everything is just going quick, 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 quick. And people get on these subways. This is in Japan where they go really fast. They get on the subway to get from one place to another. I've been into Russia where they have subways down in Moscow where the escalators go three times faster than they do here in the U.S. Because they're just dumping people down there. They make them go down and get them off and go. But the world seems to think, well, we just go on and eat, drink, and be merry. Well, everything is going great because things continue on as they always have. That's kind of what is mentioned in the church. It's called uniformitarianism, which is found in the scriptures. But if you found Romans 8, uh, we're going to look at a passage there this morning that I would like for you to consider. So Paul is writing, and he shares with us, beginning with the 18th verse. Romans 8, verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. If someone knew about suffering, that was Paul. Paul, who got stoned, who got whipped, who was imprisoned, who got shipwrecked, who got all the terrible things that happened, and eventually he was beheaded. All the things, the terrible things, he knew about suffering that happened. He knew all about that knew how that happened. And all of the apostles, they knew what it was meant to suffer for their faith. In fact, when Paul was writing to the church, the early church, when he was writing to them, those folks often suffered a lot for their faith. Some of them lost their homes. Some of them lost their income. Some of them lost relatives. They were sometimes excommunicated out of their family and out of their heritage. There was a lot of price to pay if you decided to follow Christ. Some of you have paid that as well. 2 Corinthians 4, just stay in Romans 8, but in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul's attitude is the exact same thing. He reports it again, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us eternal glory. <laughs> Excuse me, that far outweighs them all. I broke my ribs um, two weeks ago, and one thing you don't do is cough. Unfortunately, I have also an allergy, and that they don't go together. So we suffer together. I know the suffering that Paul has, I suffer today as well. So this is not always easy to keep in mind when life's struggles overwhelm us. Not easy. And to treat it lightly is, uh, is a mistake. Because some of us, Sitting in this room, have faced some serious difficulties in our life. Gone through some traumas. And those traumas, those things that have happened in our lives. It's hard to keep the focus. And keep our mind that this is just this world as compared to the world that is to come. Because things crush in on us. And they make life difficult. So it's kind of interesting that Paul would say there, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that is being revealed in us. And it's interesting that he said, and he added that, in us. 
he could have left out that last little bit of there. He could have said, uh, I consider our present sufferings not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. He could have said that, but he, he goes on and he adds in us because there's something personal he's trying to say about what's happening with us. Something personal, the glory that is to be revealed in us, something in us. And I was fascinated by that. And so I said, I want to look at that. I want to see what that passage was talking about when it says in us. And it says for creation, verse 19, for creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Creation, all creation. Now there's a discussion that happens among theologians. And they say, well, what does creation mean? What are they talking about that? Well, the creation could be of the earth. It could be of the plants. It could be the animals. Or it could be of humanity. Some say, well, it's just talking about the creation of. Why would they be exclusive? It could be in creation of everything that exists around us. Everything that God gave to us. Creation waits, Paul says. It's an interesting thought. He says, creation waits for us. And he waits for the children of God to be revealed. I thought that was a fascinating way. We're talking about he's going to be in us and the, the children of God to be revealed. And it makes me think, what in the world is he driving at? What in the world is he talking about? For the creation was subjected to, by, to frustration, not by its own choice, but by, by the will of the one who was subject to it, subjected it to it. And he's talking about Adam and Eve. And the fall of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3 describes that in detail. You can look that up later. We talk about through, through man's decision, creation. Creation was damaged. And we just have to walk outside and we see the results of that. Now we live in a in a world where we're just used to things living and dying, don't we? Things come and they go. Interesting world in which things plant, they die. Animals come, go. People come, go. All because the creation was changed dramatically by the decision that happened at the garden. Actually, the verse, in hope, you may have that in the, in the Bible at the very end of that. In hope should actually go with verse 21. In hope that creation itself will be liberated. That will be liberated from the bondage of decay. And brought into freedom. And the glory of the children of God. That it will be brought, the creation, something that would happen because it is caught in the bondage. It is forever now locked in to this cycle of life and death. That whole thing, that whole bondage of that, of decay, and that the world getting, and is longing for it, the freedom. Freedom, what kind of freedom is it talking about? Well, it's talking about the freedom to, from sin, that sin's effect of which it has had around us. We live in a world around us. It's interesting to, uh, my dad was, uh, was up in his uh, 80s and 90s. It was interesting to talk with him because he was born in 1911. And he lived, he was a California native, and uh, he lived around different places in California. And 
he went to uh, Loma Linda, and he went to Loma Linda Medical School, and he would travel with his mother, uh, just the two of them, uh, around, and how he observed what was happening in the world. And I was asking about that, and he would go and he'd travel, and he'd say, Bill, do you see these hills, and so forth? And he said, the whole place is drying up. He said, I have been places here where I stood and it looked almost really dry. And he said, where it used to be lush and full of plant life, like it was in uh, Oregon. When you go up into Oregon, go up the West Coast, you go up on, you take I-5, and you can go, all of a sudden you get over Oregon, get into Ashland, and go into Oregon, where it rains a lot. There is a lot of lushness. It's so beautiful. I love that area. But it pays for it with the rain, of course. But he would see, he said, that there were places like in California that I used to go, and he would point to them as we were traveling, say, that used to look like that. Now, I guess we could make an argument and go political, and we could say, yes, that's you know, climate change, and, and it happens, those kind of things. But I, as I was listening to him, I thought, and he would refer to, said, this is what the Bible is talking about as the whole creation groans. Whole creation uh, recognizes something that's gone wrong. In the next verse it says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as it, in the pains of childbirth up to this present time, knowing that something, as it transitions, as it goes, that something has gone terribly wrong. Something is terribly wrong. That God did not create and leave the world to be like it is. So Paul is contrasting the present world, the present suffering, with what is to come, what is to happen. You know, we live in a world where there's a lot of suffering. I was just uh, noticing on the news, just reading an article there about this woman who killed her three children. Three small children. And as I read it, you know, it's a horrible thing. But we get anesthetized to it. You know, it's kind of like, ah, oh, it's too bad. Poor kids. And not sensing the horror. The innocence of that. And a lot of people ask, well, why? Why would, why would God let suffering like that in this world? How could a loving God allow suffering? And it's a pointed and important question. Why would God allow suffering? He certainly could have stepped in and saved those children. As I have, uh, times in my ministry have been with patients and people and young people who are suffering. I remember a young lady who was 38, 37, 38, two boys growing up. They were getting ready to travel on Thanksgiving and she didn't feel good so she was a nurse so she stopped by, check herself out and the 
emergency room, found out she had cancer. They didn't go anywhere. By the next May, she was dead. Spent hours pleading with the Lord for her life. He could have spoken the word, and I told him so. Suffering. I was reading a book by Edith Schaefer, late Edith Schaefer, late Francis Schaefer, who've, who have uh, done a lot of good thinking, good writing. And she was writing a book and just entitled Affliction. She pointed something out to me that I had not quite put together until then, and that, that was like there are double stories in the world. For example, Stephen, the stoning of Stephen. Now, this Christian man, this great Christian man, certainly the church family must have been praying for him. Don't you think? Don't you think they must have been praying for his deliverance? And yet he was stoned. Standing in the crowd, holding the coats, was Saul, who later became Paul, who became the greatest Christian missionary that ever lived. Paul himself was stoned, but he survived. I'm sure the Christians were praying for him as well. So is it the fact that perhaps the Christians that were praying for Paul had stronger prayer than the ones who were praying for Stephen? That doesn't work, does it? That doesn't work. So, so there must be something more. Having more added than just who had the most prayers added to them. It had to be something different. We kind of lay that out when we say, when we have prayer for somebody, we'll say, well, thy will be done. You know, we want will be done. It's kind of a, so if you don't do act God, we've, we gave you an escape route. But that question can gnaw at us. Now, I remember the father of this young lady who died. He was so angry, so angry, he wouldn't, for months he wouldn't go to church because he just couldn't come in and talk to God at all. I had to say to him, you need to tell God you're angry. You need to, you need to level with him. Not that God does not know, he knows. But it's between you and you need, to, you need to be open up about it. But that concept, that deal of, of the struggle of suffering within our world, that suffering that happens, Christians look and should be going to the scriptures to find out answers. And what Edith Schaefer taught me as I read her book on affliction She was saying that it's like there's almost two different rooms in heaven. In one room, we have Paul being stoned, pictures of Paul being stoned, and he survived. In the next room, we have Stephen being stoned, and he didn't. 
And she said, the reason, the thinking about is that we are caught up in such a severe spiritual and physical war. And in the war, there are casualties. And the scriptures describe that. And Paul is talking about that. So as I read that, and as I was reading this and looking at this passage, I mean, the suffering that takes place in this world around us. And some things, I'm, I'm going to have to have this conversation with the Lord when we get to heaven. I need, I need to know. I don't know why, but I just, I'd like to know why you didn't. When we prayed so long, prayed so hard. Why? I kind of know his answer, I think. But he's such a loving God, you know. That we are caught in a terrible struggle and in a terrible war. Verse 23. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly, as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. We too understand that. Even though we're the first fruits, he's talking about the first converts that came into the church. Even though we're, we're the first fruits of the Spirit as administered the outpouring of the Holy Spirit since the Pentecost. Even though we're the first fruits, we eagerly wait for our adoption because we groan inwardly knowing there's something better that is to come. For this is the hope, he said, we, that we are saved, but hope that has seen. Let me start again. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. We wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. And I was thinking about that. It helps us in our weaknesses as I was thinking about these experiences that I've been through with my members of my church within my own family. And those experiences that I had, in those moments when you think, what happens? The Spirit comes and helps me get through in my own life and in the experiences of others. I was talking to a chaplain. She was a wonderful hospital chaplain. And she said to me, you know, you, you come down in the, the end and you're, and you're in such trouble, in such distress. And she said, you, you uh, can no longer reach your hand up to take the hand of God. So she said, I learned to just pray, God, I can't lift my hand anymore. You're going to have to do all the reaching. Oh, man, at times I know that. I know that. So the Spirit helps in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, the Bible says, but that the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Now, did you know that? Did you know that? That when we're praying, when we're praying, we don't know what to pray, but the, the Holy Spirit takes our prayers and takes them on and groans with us because he knows what we need. And he says, yes, I know we mentioned it, but let me add to it. 
because I know what he needs. He groans in his eyes because he's acquainted with our grief. And in the same way, same way, helps our weakness. But the Spirit himself intercedes through us, intercedes through us. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Let's read that together. Come on. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For we know that in all things, God works. God works for your good. And what is his purpose? What is his purpose that God has for you? Far more than you could ever think or dream. We would ask my dad when we were children, we asked dad, uh, dad, what's heaven like? Okay, tell us. And he would share, well, I've never been there. He hasn't been there yet. Plans to go. But he said, it's far better than you could ever ever dream and of course as kids we would think oh yeah we get to pet the wild animals and they're no longer wild and and uh we get to travel we get to see people and get to eat anything we want and all kinds of stuff like that but the real purpose the real purpose is for us to be his children and to go home to be with him we call it the hope we call it the hope Paul says, if, if you already have it, there's no hope. It's the hope that looks on, beyond what we have. For we offer to the world something that's far more than just saying, just saying, yeah, you'll have a good Christian life, you'll be happier. We're having to hope of something far better. It's a hope that gives Far more than just Jesus coming in the clouds of heaven. Which is a blessed hope itself. But the hope. The hope that I would like. The hope that I think Paul is trying to share with us in this passage. The hope that he is sharing with us is that we will be with him. That will be it. Heaven will be heaven because God is there. The Lord is there. And being with him. No matter, all the other stuff is just what's in God's house. That's, all, that's just all the stuff that goes with God's house. It's being with him. And that was the desire that God had always wanted to be. God always wanted to be with us. From creation, he wanted to walk with us. As his creatures, and we could talk face to face with him. That he would know how much he loves and cares for us. That we could be with God. He would love to have us with us. Because he loves us. Because your picture is hanging on the wall of God's house. <laughs> you know, your picture is there of my precious one. Think of that. I can say, well, there are millions of minutes. It doesn't matter. He looks at you individually. God can do that. So live the destiny that God intended for you. 
live the destiny. It is the hope. In your hour of despair, in your hour of need, when troubles are just pile it up, we have a hope. Hope that goes beyond that we are not left to be like this, but that Christ will come and take us home. It is the surprise of Scripture, isn't it? It is the surprise. I love this picture. Found in the most beautiful thing that the hope we have is in Jesus. Please pass that on to your children, to your grandchildren. Please pass it on the hope. It is from my parents that I learned. I was taught from them. And the most blessed thing is the blessed hope in Jesus. We have this hope that burns within our hearts. Hope in the coming of the Lord. Yes, we love that song. That song there. Because it is the blessed hope. The blessed hope that come. Well, my dad has gone to his rest. Every Friday night he used to call me. Well, Bill, what are you preaching on tomorrow? <laughs> I miss those calls. I think of them every Friday night. And when we laid my father to rest, my sisters want to know, well, what should we put on his gravestone? Grave marker. The blessed hope. My dad had within him that always burning desire of the blessed hope. It is a hope that burns within my heart as well. Our Father, I thank you. I thank you for this encouraging words from the Apostle Paul. We know suffering around us. We see it. We read it in our paper. But our hearts and longing hold on to you. For you, Lord, provide to us your children what will be revealed in our hearts as the Holy Spirit ministers in us of the hope, that blessed hope, for what shall soon take place when you come, take us home to be with you forever. May we always be with the Lord. Amen.